0: Way back in 1556, Giovanni Torriani created a wooden robot that could fetch the emperor's daily bread. Today, we set our sights a bit higher to speed up operations, keep people safe, and collect a whole lot more data.
1: An industry under pressure, innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into
0: new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael
1: O'Sullivan.
2: The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another provocative episode, Oil & Gas Tech Podcast. Today, we have Jake Lucerarian on the show. And he just taught me how to say his name a few minutes ago. And Jake is the co-founder, CEO at, at a company called Gecko Robotics. But before we get to Jake, I got to first say thank you to our, our fantastic sponsor, Cognite. I'll say a little bit more about them at the end, but they're the ones who actually make this possible financially. Also, I should mention that I am not at the fabulous canon on the west side of Houston today because of geospatial challenges that prevent us from doing that. So Jake and I are, are doing this online, so audience, you got to bear with us, and we're going to try to have like a nice, natural conversation. And yes, we are talking about robots today. So I do want to share, I'm going to ask Jake to be patient for a minute before I give him the spotlight, and I want to share this little tidbit. So if some of you know that I kind of like to look at these old books, and I've had a couple I've read a couple passages from this Voices from the oil fields book, which is a hoot, but I'm not going to, I got a new book today. So, I mean, I don't think it's a new book per se, but it's new to me. And it is called Groundbreakers, the story of oilfield technology and the people who made it happen. I haven't read a lot of it yet, so I can't really endorse it yet. I mean, it certainly passes the thud factor. It's pretty <laughs> sizable, but I want to call your attention to this one part here that I think will be will be fun for Jake. But actually, first, let's go to the Technique FMC website. By the way, Technique FMC, great friends of OGGN, and they're a sponsor of Justin's Onshore Show. But if you go somewhere on the Technique website, you're going to find a reference to this. And it says, our Schilling Robotics legacy brand entered the Deepwater arena in 1985, offering manipulator systems followed by its first ROV in 2000. So Schilling Robotics... Technip FMC, a brand that started in it. But here's the the real story from 1985. This is this is where Schilling Robotics came from. And this is from, let's see, page 272, 272 of the book Groundbreakers. By the way, written by somebody named Mark Mao, who is a business historian, and another guy, Henry Edmondson, who spent pretty much a lifetime at Schlumberger, from what I can tell. So they got this little story in there about a guy named Tyler Schilling, who is from Davis, California, and he was a dropout from engineering school. By the way, kids, if you're listening, that is not a good idea. But he was a dropout from engineering school, but he was a natural tinkerer and an inventor. And he was at the Space and Naval Warfare Systems Center in San Diego, California, because you know the military always does the cool stuff before everybody else. And he was working on the U.S. Navy's underwater research vehicles, And so Tyler learned all about robots, and then he returned home in Davis, California, to start his own business. Fortunately, he had an understanding mother because she mortgaged the family home. And in 1985, Tyler Schilling founded Schilling Robotics. He was operating it for the first few years out of a rented garage. Of course, the rest is history. 23 years later, in 2008, he sold it to Techneep FMC at which point I imagine he paid off the mortgage on his mom's house. So there's a story of a young guy who had a great idea. And, you know, as Doc always says, if you put your mind to it, you can do anything. Today, we have another guy, another young guy who had a great idea. And so, Tyler, it's your turn. You had a great idea and you finished school. But while you were at school, you started this company. So thanks for being on the show today. It's good to have you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so a little bit about your story because you know these are good inspirational stories, especially for this year. I think for what people are going through in this industry. But I know that you, I know that you started, you started this company. First, let's talk about the company name, Gecko. How did you decide to call your company after a small lizard?
1: Yeah, well, it's an interesting story. I named the company officially when I was in Costa Rica, kind of on <laughs> the last the last hurrah trip before becoming an actual adult. But you know, studying electrical engineering at college. And you know, I made this robot that climbed a wall, so it seemed decently decently synonymous with what geckos do. So decided to name it after the climbing motion. So okay, so <laughs> we gotta unpack that a little bit. So
0: in that little story, you had this one little phrase that you said, I made a robot that climbed a wall. So like did it did you mean for it to climb the wall? Did it climb the wall on purpose? Like were you like you were in Costa
1: Rica and you thought, I'll just make a robot that climbs the wall? Like how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, good question. So essentially, the reason why the robot is climbing a wall right now is because you know, I originally found out about a really large problem, first in the power industry. So I went to college doing engineering in a place uh, nearby, Oil City, Pennsylvania. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners and you know a little about Franklin City, Pennsylvania, but it's essentially where re- refining industry took off, Rockefeller, Carnegie, it uh, was their neck of the woods. And refinery kind of took off from there. But this place was home to a power plant that had a really large problem. And that problem was essentially 40% of the year their power plant was shut down because of different kinds of asset and infrastructure failure, whether it's a, a tube failure in their boiler or some sort of pressure vessel having an explosion. And so the only way to remedy that was, you know, sending humans into the boiler, for example, and climbing on scaffolding or dropping. Right, down that's exactly the place where you want humans to go on a regular basis. Right, right,
0: yeah, right. Sure. So,
1: yeah. yeah, there was actually an incident a year before I designed the robot where someone had fallen and died off of off of scaffolding doing the inspection. So, anyway, all these all these things together ended up creating a pretty large problem. It seemed like, not to mention the fact that this company was this power plant was bleeding money because of all the downtime.
0: Which, by the way, is and I know you're not you didn't grow up in this industry, but that's the Achilles heel. I mean, if you go into a lot of these types of facilities today, and you start talking about digital transformation, that's what they're trying to do—is eliminate that downtime because of because of the,
1: the way it impacts cash flow,
0: the way it impacts safety, and all those things. I mean, that's the focal.
1: Point. Yeah, we've estimated approximately two trillion dollars in lost opportunity costs within oil and gas, power, and and, manufa- and pulp and paper manufacturing, kind of like the three three largest industries that Gecko serves. Right, two trillion dollars. Yeah, humongous amounts of money being spent on reacting to you know things that that break and that cause a lot of issues not only uh, not only with with your ability to you know create what you're supposed to create, refine what you're supposed to refine, but but also the expense of the asset replacements, the endangerment of people going in and trying to stop whatever's burning to stop burning. Yeah, right, right, right. And also environmentally, it's actually one of the largest contributors to a lot of the emissions levels that that the R industry gets gets stinged about. For but sure, for so sure. in any in any case, so back to so the, yeah, the, yeah.
0: the robot that was about to climb uh, the wall. in Costa Rica.
1: Yeah. So the robots essentially what I what I ended up doing was trying to create a replacement tool for actually performing the inspection. And so instead of a human with a flaw detector and you know a dual element or single element transducer, you're you're sending the robot up with those things. And the initial versions were decently primitive. You send the robot up and it would climb the wall doing a visual inspection, and then the second iteration that I made could do ultrasonics. And essentially, the results that year when I designed the robot in college was it saved about three, four shutdowns at that facility and you know, millions of dollars for them. Yeah, it began to you know, truly unpack the value prop for customers, but you know, it, was, it was really exciting just to make a tool that uh, could be used in the industry in a way that you know, was not mainstream at all at that point or, or even thought possible. Yeah. And so what this was like, what, like 2015, 2013, 20, whoa, whoa. 2013 was the first robot that I
0: made to be able to make something so much of the, a lot of times the technology that we talk about on this show is, even though it's really interesting, there's a few hops between whatever that piece of tech does and the business impact that it's ultimately impacting. But you're like right there like you've got the thing that's directly impacting the business, you know, and those like big money objectives. So that has to be exciting, right? I mean, you really you're not like buried behind, you know, so a lot of other processes.
1: I think what's fulfilling about any entrepreneurial journey or or reason to create something is you're actually if you can actually solve a problem. I think a lot of times I see a lot of entrepreneurs who are, you know, designing and creating solutions without a problem to solution for and that's sad because there's a lot of effort and energy that goes into solving a problem without understanding that problem and so you know it, it, it's, it's exciting especially as an engineer being able to see the problem firsthand see how it affects not just the immediate group but also the industry in its whole entirety and then look to see what else it can help unlock and that's kind of the stage i'm at now right right so I mean, yeah, so the irony in that
0: is it doesn't matter how many years go by and decades go by where, you know, people loudly proclaim, don't build a solution looking for a problem. We keep, we keep doing it anyway. Like it's just a constant, you know, it's a constant thing that people do. So it's good that you're not, I mean, you're clearly, you're, it's clear to see why you got, you got the interest in robots. And you said, this is something that I can do that, that has a real impact on the business. So you started, decided to start a company and the company is Gecko named after the lizard in Costa Rica. So when was it that you started the company officially?
1: Yeah, so I did it kind of solo, where it's just tinkering around, editing the robot, and living at power plant and other heavy manufacturing sites for the first like three years, and then officially the company it was incorporated in 2016, and you know right around that time, you know there was a company that seen the progress and had actually offered to buy out the company. So like that, that. And at this point, I'm like completely broke, right? Like, I, <laughs> But you didn't, have a, you didn't have to pay off your mom's mortgage. So
0: you had options, <laughs> right? Like you, right.
1: you didn't have to go with that. that yeah, job. essentially, I could pay my rent. But yeah, at, at this point, you know, I'm 100 bucks to my name, living on my best friend's apartment floor and getting this buyout offer. So it was a pretty large deal and pretty confirming that, you know, that made something that people wanted, which was, you know, kind of always the goal. But then at the same time, I got an offer, me and my my co-founder, Troy, got an offer to go to this startup accelerator out in California called Y Combinator. Now, for those of you who don't know, Y Combinator is a startup accelerator that invests a little over $100,000 into really young companies with ambitious goals. And so some of their key investments have been like Airbnb, Dropbox, Reddit, Cruise automation, like a lot of those kinds of companies. Yeah, they're pretty well known in the I mean, if you're in that world at all, right? Yeah. Yeah, see. very well known. Yeah. It, it was a pretty exciting to, you know, I worked alongside the guy who created Gmail, for example, and another guy who, you know, sold his company for a billion dollars, Twitch. I'm not sure if anyone knows Twitch. But these were the people that were, you know, helping coach me on how to build a company. And you know, from in terms of a summary of investments so far, the company has over two rounds of fundraising raised about $60 million in, in venture capital. And, and all that really says is that, you know, we've been able to be successful in delivering something that our customers truly find valuable. But yeah, there's, there's a large push with the vision that we have for this industry.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's so it's interesting because you mentioned, you kind of quickly mentioned that the, the
1: big buyout offer that you got from
0: an energy company kind of confirmed that you had something, right, that was of, of value. It actually, it's funny because it, it makes me think about so when I so when I was a kid, we had this garage sale one time. And this is back in olden times when you could just have a garage sale. You didn't have to wait for your like neighborhoods officially sanctioned like garage sale. And we we're having this and you know, and people buy things at a garage sale for like nickels and dimes, right? And it was some piece of furniture, it was like a dresser or something. It's an old dresser, right? And my mom, she's got it out there for the garage sale. And this lady walks up to her and she looks at it and she says, I'll give you fifty dollars. And you know, like fifty dollars was like your whole like profit from the garage sale right and <laughs> and this is, and she says, "I'll give you fifty dollars for this and my mom, who was like just like kind of like an ordinary like housewife and mom in the seventies, she was like she goes, "No thanks, I'll keep it." And that was like a clue to her that I think I might have something here that's valuable, that I didn't really. And so, of course, you know, they had it appraised and found out that it was worth a lot of money and all this, right? Just be, but this woman walked in, so kind of the same experience for you, right? These guys come in and they give you this really good offer that sounds really good because you got a hundred bucks in your name, but you go, ah, maybe maybe it's bigger than that, right? Because maybe they were just hoping that you didn't realize that you had a like an antique dresser in your driveway. Is that is that kind of <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of.
1: That's kind of how it sounds. Is that how you feel like where you're at today? In terms no, I of think that's a great. I think that's a great metaphor for like how to, or anecdote for how to describe it. It was a nice indication that hey, there's something here, and I think like a mark of a good advisor's if you are like starting your own company or or even like helping give advice to people is you know there's plenty of people who tell you how like crappy your idea is, but there's very few people who are able to actually help you think about the 10x version of your idea. And I think like around the time when I got the offer and got the invitation and investment opportunity with my Combinator, I had people in that circle who were part of Y Combinator who, who helped me understand and talk about what Gecko could be and the impact that it could have on this industry. And, and I think especially, you know, when you come, you know, and we, so I moved the company out to Silicon Valley in 2016. And we've since moved back to Houston and Pittsburgh and Austin as our three major offices. But we were out there in the midst of a, you know, culture, tech culture that doesn't have or doesn't see too many investments into these spaces. And I'm not sure how many of your listeners are familiar with Peter Thiel or Mark Cuban, but Peter Thiel writes a book called zero to One. I'd also recommend that alongside the book recommendation you have. It's a nice view of the world in terms of how an entrepreneur or other people should view solving problems. But essentially, he said the only two degrees worth getting, you know, the next 20, 30, 40 years is software engineering degrees and petroleum engineering degrees. And that's Peter Thiel. And, you know, he may have been saying it like almost a joking matter, but there's a lot of truth in what he was describing in his book and and why he said that. And I was dumbfounded by the notion that there's such few investment dollars in companies trying to you know solve really important and key humanitarian and, and industrial and energy problems you know, happening in this industry and it's the, the most critical industry in the world and so it, i think it's that was also something that the side the opportunity to you know work on you know solving some real problems in these critical industries that Helped turn third world into first world. You know, it was, it was exciting to be able to dig, dig my. Yeah. So, so let's
0: let's talk about that a little bit because. Which, by the way, here in Houston, we know who Mark Cuban is mainly because he owns the Dallas Mavericks and they're kind of a rival of the Houston Rockets. Uh, okay. Uh, he's
1: an investor in the Gecko.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. But yeah, he's been a, he's been a big impact on the tech industry. But so let's talk about what you are doing and this impact that you're having. You mentioned that a couple times. An impact on the industry. Somewhere when I was doing a little homework on you, I read something about your company that says, this has this statement. It says, well, this is a pretty strong statement. So we should probably dig into this a little bit. At our core, we are a robot enabled software company that helps stop life threatening catastrophes. So (laughs) hopefully you really mean that. And that wasn't just like the marketing people that came up with that sentence, because that's a pretty, you know, to stop stopping life threatening catastrophes. That's the space where you're playing, where you see yourself making a difference.
1: Yeah. So what we mean by that is, you know, that first story that I told you of someone falling off and, and dying off of, hanging off a of scaffolding. You know, I think there is a safety is the most important thing in this industry. And, you know, we, we really view increasing and improving your tools is a major contributor to you know, improving your safety. It's just like, why not use the best tool available instead of the tool that was designed and used, you know, 20, 30, 50 years ago. And that's like what we're trying to do with robotics. It also, not only is it collecting 10 to 15,000 times more data, you know, per minute than a human inspector with a handheld tool, but our humans are able to collect that much more data per minute, but also they're able to do it, yeah, with the robots or the robot there. enhanced humans, right? We we're gonna get into that later, but anyway, so right, right. So, but it's off. Yeah. They're also able to do it safely and in ten times the amount of or excuse me, ten times less time. And so basically, you're doing a faster job, getting more data, and doing it safely. It's just like why wouldn't you do that? And then on the the life threatening catastrophes outside of just you know a human with a handheld device, if one of our customers in the power space who's been using us for a few years. So that the assets that they've used Gecko on have seen an 85% decrease in asset shutdowns. And so with what I mean by that and what that really means is that if you're able to be 10 to 15,000 times better at finding the things that will make something go boom, then you should do that. And that's that data that we collect is structured, it's organized, and you're able to do repeat inspections cycle to cycle. And you can look to see the deltas between those different damage mechanisms. Instead of using a formula, a is actually using the the actual data points at those specific exact locations to determine where and tear on the asset and project when it's going to have an issue. And so if the goal is, okay, there's $2 trillion of value here because $2 trillion of lost opportunity costs every single year goes bye-bye because things shut down when they don't want them to, it's like, okay, like there's a lot of value there and the things that shut down when things go boom also are dangerous. And so that's kind of what we mean there. And the software part of it, it's just like robotics is incredible and it's amazing. But it's also like there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes with utilizing the data that the robots and the humans are collecting. And, and so everyone knows our robots are being operated by the most trained, regularly trained inspectors with level three, level two certifications in you know, you know, UT, VT, PT, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we also integrate and use AUT, Advanced Ultrasonic Inspection Services as well. So we do RBI, we do RUG, and uh, Rapid Ultrasonic critting, and it allows for us to offer this package for clients that is ca- kind of hard to walk away from because we're really the only companies in the industry offering this, this full service for yeah. your inspections.
0: Yeah. So I want to back up to something that you you mentioned. And in fact, in the statement that I read earlier, I did notice that you were very specific to say that we are a robot enabled software company. You didn't say we are a robot company. You said we're a robot enabled software company. And if and that thing you said about So a lot of times we think about robots just going out there and performing a task, right? The robot performs the task, you know, like on the surface of the planet because the humans can't go there, right? But if the robot can also collect data and like you said, collecting far more data, and also you start to do analytics and you're able to predict things. I mean, now you're, you know, this is like you're squarely in the middle of what people are trying to do under the heading of digital transformation in the oil and gas industry is to automate functions, but also use all the data that's being produced and use that data to be able to improve your operations and make smarter decisions and predict when things are going to fail and all of those things, like, like you said. yeah. So when you got into it, so like you're this college kid in Costa Rica making a robot climbing up a wall. Did you have a sense of like this landscape? And I know you're active in a couple of other industries, but What did you think when you got into oil and gas and you saw kind of the whole universe of data and operations and complexity and things like that? Did it seem like, did it seem big? What were your thoughts? Because a lot of times people don't really get like how big and crazy and complex it is.
1: Yeah, you're right on. I think it's a extremely misunderstood industry. I think there's actually a lot of similarities in my opinion to the medical industry and and how complex the medical industry is, how much you know, how much historical data and efforts are being used to make sense of all the information. I think there's a lot of, I think the oil and gas industry is full of extremely intelligent people who are working and dealing with extremely hard problems and who have people who are trying to sell them solutions that are completely out of touch of what they actually are supposed to be helping with.
0: That happens sometimes. That does happen. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All the time. (laughs) And it's like, I love the industry so much. I love the people so much because There is no dull moments. There is no bullcrap. They are trying to do the best with the resources that they have, and it's never enough resources. And the industry is also not scared to try new things and have spent a lot of time, effort, and money on trying to integrate things like robotics into the industry. But from what I have seen, and I think what Sprint Robotics has done and the efforts of Sprint Robotics has been incredible, inspectioneering, these these are things to go check out for those who don't follow these two, but the amount investment that the oil and gas industry has done to try to be creative and figuring out new solutions and, and pushing the industries forward have made the industry such a thought leader in terms of how to take care of assets in other industries. We've, we've seen that you know cascade in the other industries that we serve, but I think the, the issue has always been the idea sounds great and looks great in a marketing portfolio, but in actuality, hasn't really been helpful. From a software or robotic perspective, and like, you know, you see so many companies like we offer AI for whatever the use case to increase efficiency in oil and gas. Like how much has that actually affected like your listeners like on their day-to-day jobs? Like probably very little, right? Sure, right, exactly. Yeah. That's kind of like we get excited about that at Gecko is like our operators are using our technology and working alongside with our customers, trying to understand how we can better serve them with what we have now, what's best offered there. By, you know third party equipment, whether it's advanced or not, and our own robotics our robotics fleet, and just trying to listen and understand how we, how we best help them and then what do we do after we gather the information and gather the data and that's where our software comes in so we we've built out the software tool called the gecko portal, and that has been a dramatic <laughs> of course of course it's called the gecko portal yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we actually have something called gecko vision too, which is like this amazing three d simulation of <laughs> Asset integrity and projecting out asset integrity, but I had an image in my head when you said that of like these geckos like passing through a portal into another dimension.
0: You know, like what was that movie where they went through the portal and they got to the other side? And it was like ancient Egypt and another part of the universe or something. like that. <laughs> <laughs> <Here comes laughs> geckos. But I think it's worth noting that. Um, and by the way, I appreciate your comments about this industry being underappreciated and the great people that are trying to do some great things here. I think it's always nice to welcome a new convert into the family, but it's worth noting that you've constructed a business model here, right? That's really kind of an, I think if I'm not mistaken, it's an as a service, right? It's like, it's like robots as a service or, or something, but, but people don't, they can hire you to do this and to produce these results, right? Or subscribe, I should say not hire, but they can kind of subscribe to this service. They don't have to like make an investment in all the robots themselves and all of the processes and
1: infrastructure around that. Is that correct? Yeah, that's I right. hope it's correct because I just said it with a lot of enthusiasm. So. Yeah, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that's right. I think what we found is just you know when you when you just sell robots and don't worry about the customer experience and how they're going to use the technology and if the technology is going to work, it doesn't typically work. And so that's why you you have a lot of companies that have tried robotics and failed in the industries. You know, drones too. It's not about can the thing fly or drive and and move by itself. It's you know what does it actually do to actually help solve. Again, real problems. That's like that's what we're focused on. It's just like we, you know, will adapt our robot in a lot of different ways because it's very modular designs. We even have a new robot coming out and going to be released in the beginning of 2021, which is going to, I think, revolutionize the way that we do piping and pipeline inspections. Yeah, that's needed. That's a huge one. That's another one that's yeah very. But we, I mean, we're we're really trying value. to integrate you know software. We work we're working with some really talented people at university and universities in Houston and our own level threes to try to figure out how software can help uncover and, and detect, you know, these kinds of corrosion, you know, whether it's top side or bottom side, faster for the customer so that they get results as quickly as possible. So, you know, yeah, and, that's, cool. and that's really been helpful with some of the big clients that we work with. but
0: Right. Yeah, no, that's cool. So you make a good point about... It's not just about knowing how to operate the equipment. And, and it's part of like, in spite of all the great things that you said about the people in this industry and everything, and, and they're wonderful. But I guess one of the uh, kind of our Achilles' heel is it's an industry sort of built on a lot of engineers and very smart, you know, it's sort of an engineering mindset, you know, scientists, science and engineering in the industry. And they're among the best, which sometimes makes us think that we know how to do everything, right? Well, it's just an engineering problem. I can figure it out. But, you know, especially kind of in this day and age, it really benefits to work with other people who have kind of already solved that particular set of engineering problems, not just to the point of making it work, but to the point of making it actually useful and have value, right? In your business. If somebody's Worked that out, you know. You don't need a you don't need a tiger team over there doing that. You need to stay focused on your on your business of what you do. And I think a lot of people are coming to those terms, and so we're seeing a lot more collaboration and a lot more working with partners and things like that in the industry. I'm watching the time here, and or, or go ahead, and I have
1: one more thing I want to get to, but but go ahead. Yeah. What was your? Uh, what well, was I think your, it's uh, you're right, and I you know I always bias towards the engineering approach and the scientific method, but I think like the one thing that's hard, you know, for engineers. Is the finance world it dictates so much in these industries and so many decisions are driven by not what's best but what's you know most prudent financially. Sure. Well, investor value is I mean, the oil and gas industry has been getting beat up over that for a few years now, right?
0: I mean, yeah, is, it'll it'll
1: so kick sure. back. I anticipate a really large resurgence in in the OG market in the next four or five years, actually. Right. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, but yeah, I think that's what we're trying to offer as well. In addition to you know solving the problems that are most immediate is just a different way to look at how to solve the problem and I think again, like you know this Peter Thiel and his group, one of their famous lines is that they anticipate in the next five years fifty percent of the workforce in this industry retiring. I don't know like if that's actually true. I don't think it's not true though <laughs> it's it's been true for a while, and people are hanging on people, <laughs> people are hanging, hanging on. on and i and I, I hope did. they hang on as long as they can because there's some incredible. People. And one thing I've learned is just, you know, when to be quiet when talking to, you know, folks who just have so many years of experience in the industry and, and soaking in their perception of what problems are most important to be solved.
0: That's a rare quality among, among people. So, shall we say, people of your particular time period in history aren't always great at that. So it's really good that you figured that part out.
1: Yeah. I think the industry just says it's a very complex industry. And I have plenty of books that, you know, it's spend a lifetime reading to tr- truly understand some of the things that, you know, people in the industry who have a lot of experience know. But, you know, what I think is important to look at and understand is like, I'm never going to know as much as, you know, some of the, I'm not sure if you know John Nyholt, but the John Nyholt of the world. But what I can do is help to preserve what they know. And I think software is the key. Yeah, yeah. That's a good perspective. And, and robotics is just a way to help categorize and make sense of a bunch of information that has been loose and unstructured for a long time. And it's in there, I think, is a very interesting roadmap to, you know, how to create value and to help solve some large problems that most people don't even think are the root cause of integrity. But, you know, the integrity side of oil and gas, you know, in there cascades so many benefits or potential catastrophe. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of roadmaps
0: in the future, we got to talk about this, right? So I got to I gotta ask you, and I'm sure you get this a lot, but I can't resist. So let's talk about this concern we have about robots taking over the world, right? I mean, Stephen Hawking warned us about it, right? He said <laughs> he said intelligent devices could spell the end of the human. I mean, we we all saw the the matrix. We know how that turns out. I mean, this is this is something that it sounds kind of silly when you know, if you say it with the right tone of voice, but this is something that people are concerned about. People are worried about safety, right? I remember reading a few years ago that a woman, I think it was in South Korea, maybe she was like sleeping on the floor when a robot vacuum ate her hair, right? And she had to go to the emergency room. So, do you encounter people who are sort of like apprehensive, robots are scary, or even just this for the terms of robot taking over people's jobs, right? Or, or maybe making people do worse. I mean, I think there was a study at Cornell University a while back that said when humans work next to robots, they get demotivated because the robots are working so much faster and so much better. So how does all that factor kind of into your, into your philosophy and into your business plans?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. It's a it's, a, it's I, a, I just decided to throw
0: that. So audience, a, we did not talk about this in the prep conversation.
1: I just <laughs> decided to throw it in. No, there it's at the end. such an important one. And it's one that doesn't get I'm talked sure about.
0: You, I, and I'm sure you haven't I'm sure you've you've talked about this and thought about it. So so yeah. So what are
1: what are your thoughts? Well, I mentioned I categorize, you know, robots maybe differently than maybe like Stephen Hawking's would. And I think that's you know I think there's a reason why robots coming out of university look like, you know, the irobots of like, you know, a la Will Smith's movie and like, you know, the ones that you see, you know, most impactful and helpful today. But I kind of think of it like this, like more ethically and philosophically, which is, you know, at, at every stage of massive technology or other revolutions, whether it's like the computer or the steam engine or things like that. This was the same conversation back then. It's the same conversation now. And when we created, you know, things like, you know, the personal computer, they're the same conversations about, you know, what about, you know, jobs of people in accounting or jobs of typewriters or people taking notes or secretaries or, you know, all these different kinds of jobs. And what ended up happening was a bunch of new jobs that were actually elevated jobs, which meant, you know, being able to, make more money with those jobs were created and it created this opportunity to be able to use the tools like a computer advantageously for you and your family and to push forward and advanced society and that's kind of how I view robots it's it's not it's not a terminator and i think like not yet some would say
0: <laughs> right um, right alphabet skynet i mean there's there's a lot of concern out there as soon as you start it's talking it's funny
1: about it. Gecko, yeah gecko's been called skynet on some yeah. of the, the social media posts But yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's fun and exciting to think of it like that. But in reality, you know, we are a long way off from, you know, the jobs that we know today being replaced. And, you know, for for us, you know, we're able to pay our technicians, you know, above market because they're able to operate and run, um, you know, specialized robotic equipment. That's awesome. That's a great thing. It's really exciting. And, you know, we're just using a tool that is, like I said, 10,000 times better at finding the damage mechanism is safe so that the and we're not putting people in harm's way. But but it's also it's repeatable and faster. And all those things are awesome things. And it's a tool that I hope gets better and better for the users that are using it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And in fact, I think if I, if I remember correctly, and you might have touched on this a minute ago, but... You do combine the robots and the software with people, right? Subject matter experts that have 30, 40 years of experience. And if I'm not mistaken, you, you put them working together in ways that ultimately is better than you would get from one or the other. Is that, is that right?
1: That's right. Yeah, both on the actual data capture side and on the interpretation side. You know, we have all of our data reviewed by you know, trained professionals and signed off by level threes.
0: Right, right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you did mention the level three level four before, right. I knew that. So these industry veterans who have, you know, decades of experience, they're still part of the process, right? It's just a better process than it was
1: before. Yep. Yeah, like I said before, sometimes listening and learning from people, that's the best way to, to, to innovate is alongside people like that. And I think one thing that is, you know, important to note with a few very large customers who are pushing for autonomous inspections of, you know, let's say I can find space doing like a tank floor inspection without entry. You know, we've done inspections where humans were not in the environment and the inspection was carried out by the robot, you know, being over, overviewed and data being watched by the operator. And so, you know, we are excited for the ability for, you know, advancements with our robots to be able to you know, meet some of the requirements coming down uh, the pipeline here and that someone's going to have to solve. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, if in the next five years we need to reduce hazardous work hours by, you know, 10, 20, 30%, like is coming. um, You can't do that without robots, like what we have. And, and, you know, right now the only ones who can do that.
0: Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I mean, it, it all, all these things work together in a lot of ways to make the industry better. The kinds of things that you're doing with inspections and, and, and facilities like that, you've got other people using autonomous vehicles to do really amazing things, you know, in deep, deep water where, you know, you've you got to even consider how am I going to power the thing, right? And together with all of the all the, the data and the analytics and all the things that we're learning to do, it really is Probably there's like a renaissance coming where, you know, all of a sudden this industry starts to look very different in terms of its ability to be efficient in terms of be clean and to be safe and to be, and to be more profitable, right. Ultimately to produce better investor value. So it's, it's cool that you kind of found your way into the hydrocarbon world. And I know you're, you're doing things in other places as well. It sounds like you've dedicated some, some of your time to, to learning about it and listening to other people, which is fantastic. I think these are good stories for for people to listen to, so something else that you might've noticed is that this industry has been beaten up pretty hard the last, the last couple years. And it's always good for people to hear positive kind of motivating stories. So thanks for making time today to talk about this. I feel like there's like a half dozen other things that I want to ask you about, but I know that we're kind of at that point where people start like turning the dial or maybe we're past that point where people start turning the dial. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. If anybody wants to learn more about you, I mean, about you personally or about your company and what you're doing. Obviously you have a website. What else? Anything else that you want to call and we we'll put all this in the show notes, but anything
1: else you want to call people's
0: attention to in terms of how they could find out
1: more? Yeah. So we're pretty active on LinkedIn, Facebook, those kinds of things. You obviously go to our website. We're hiring a lot for a lot of different positions. Okay. So check out our career page. That is always exciting
0: right now in this industry to know that anybody's hiring is fantastic.
1: Yeah. And I think yeah we, we have a really great team so if you're connected with anyone who works at like Gecko, you know, reach out to them and chat with them about what we're actually doing. And there's a lot of great case studies on the website. So I'd encourage reading the case studies and the blogs we put out, trying to just do what we can to help pass along best practice. It's been a great time talking with you. Really appreciate getting the chance to be on the show. Yeah, I know. Perfect. So thank you. And it's been great. I got to wrap up with a few things here.
0: First of all, I want to say, I want to mention our sponsor, Cognite's. Paying the bills thanks to them and Cognite. If you haven't if you don't know anything about them, you should check check them out. Really, they're doing some really fantastic stuff with industrial data and making it usable and contextual and you know, making humans and machines and everybody happy using you know with industrial data. So check out Cognite and also I have to mention our the OGGN street team, which is led by the valiant and fearless Warren Spiwak. And they are doing some great things just to get people involved in the industry, involved in OGGN, especially this year. It's been a little weird for everybody. So it's nice to just kind of get, interact and do some cool productive stuff. They have a LinkedIn group. If you've ever heard me say that they have a Facebook group, forget about that. They don't have a Facebook, there's a LinkedIn group and you can find them and OGGN all over LinkedIn. And of course there is the beautiful new OGGN.com website, which was put together by our friends over at Midnight Marketing. They did a fantastic job and you should check out that website. I think that's it. I'm going to echo something that Jake said earlier, which was he said he, he discovered that there's a lot of people in this industry that have been doing, really solving interesting problems in creative ways for a long time, which goes back to this little kick I've been on lately about how oil and gas, the oil and gas industry has been doing technology, you know, we sometimes get teased for being slow to adopt new innovations. But in fact, and you're going to hear more about this from my Groundbreakers book, which I've just started looking at because apparently the authors of this book feel the same way. So it uh, reinforces my statement that we were tech before tech was cool. And here are the events on deck.
2: Happy New Year, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN. And here are the events on deck for January 2021. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two in-person events. The OCI East Houston Chapter Luncheon at the Monument Inn on the 5th, and the Houston Chapter Energy API Meeting at the Petroleum Club on the 14th. The only online event we have this month is the Prefab Connect from the 26th to the 29th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for January. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global
1: Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.